You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 14, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Every day is a good day to be alive, Mike. Thank you so much for asking. Dude. Why am I excited for a Jets-Browns game? Can somebody explain that to me? Like, why? I was just going to say, is there anything more erotic than a Jets-Browns game on a Thursday night? I don't know if there is. Here's here's what, and I don't I don't know this because I don't have enough NFL esoteric knowledge. I'm assuming the schedule is set before the draft. In which case, obviously, like, the, the league setters would know that both teams were likely to draft rookie quarterbacks early. Yeah. But still... Obviously, we're not getting Baker, which is kind of lame. But you got Browns with Hard Knocks, and you got Jets with Darnold, and it just feels to me. And like I'll, I'll be saying this in this podcast will release after the game, will be totally wrong. It feels to me like a game where it's like everything's gonna be bananas, right? Like we're gonna see like fumble return touchdown, interception return touchdown, <laughs> other return touchdown, all the return touchdowns. It's yeah, be a crazy your typical game. sloppy Thursday night football and really I'm excited to watch guys like Miles Garrett and like Leonard Williams like that's that's where my excitement comes from these rookie quarterbacks are going to go through ups and downs like you said Baker's not playing but Sam Darnold is fun I mean last time I watched him on primetime and threw his first first uh, interception return for a uh, return for a touchdown so you know Sam Darnold is a high variance player that would be fun to see him kind of go through that same roller coaster night against the Browns and have some crazy cuckoo bonkers finish where the Browns just browns it up. We go into overtime. Everyone just wants the game to end and they tie again. Three straight weeks of the tie? Has that ever happened? No, they lost to the Saints last week by three points. No, 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 no. I'm talking just in the NFL in oh, general. Oh, yeah, no. You know, we had the Vikings-Packers tie last week. Obviously, Browns-Steelers week one. Three straight weeks with the tie. Firstly, <laughs> we would have to deal with a whole new cycle of is the NFL having a problem with ties? Which <laughs> would be pretty funny talking head nonsense. But that would just be very brownsy to be 0-1-2. And still not come away 
with a win. Speaking of things that are brownsy, and, and actually opposite, things that are not brownsy, have you seen their jerseys? I know you don't get as excited about jerseys as I do, but have you seen them? Yo, the Browns jerseys are dope. Those are nice. You mean the the, the usual ones they no, wear? No, the ones that they're wearing right now, because I'm looking at the TV screen when I want to yes, turn back okay. like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just wanted to make sure. We, I thought you were saying like, oh, the Browns jerseys are generally nice, no. in which case we were going to have fisticuffs on air. <laughs> no, no, I like them. I like them. Okay. Browns and Jets set to kick off here in our background as we go through the show, but we're not here to talk about the Browns and Jets. We are here to talk about the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles and the Indianapolis Colts. Frank Reich coming back to town. It's been town. a while since we did yeah. that. Let's talk about the Eagles defense against the Colts offense for this show. The last show that we did, we talked about the Eagles offense, about the Colts defense. Go check that out. That was the, the show before this one. Today, we're flipping it. And of course, we have to give our injury report before we get into all that because we got to know the landscape of what we're dealing with here. So injury report for the Eagles did not participate again. Jay Ajayi with his back, Darren Sproles with his hamstring, limited in practice, Alshon Jeffrey, who likely won't play. Jason Peters with a quad is expected to play. Linebackers DJ Alexander and Nate Gary rubbed some Robitussin on their joints. They went from not participating on Wednesday to full participation on Thursday. Happy for them. The Colts injury report, a pretty long one. Again, did not participate. T.Y. Helton, again, with a quad. That could be trouble for them, and we'll explain why. It's not hard to figure out. Running, uh, running back Marlon Mack with a foot and hamstring issue, which could lead to more touches for it. Naeem Hines and Jordan Wilkins. Defensive tackle, Danico Autry is still out. Jack Doyle, same thing with his hip. And running back who was never a thing, but people made a thing until he wasn't a thing anymore. Christine Michael was added to the report with some sort of illness. Never, ever slander Christine <laughs> Michael in front of me ever again. See, Ben is the type of people that made him a thing. You watch yourself. All right, so tackle Anthony Costanzo remains out, and his status is real shaky. Uh, his backup, if I'm not mistaken, is Lorraine Clark, which... Oh boy, uh, you also have. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my pro evaluation there. That's what I went to the scouting academy for. Concussed corner yes. Quincy Wilson was held out again. If you remember by this time last week, Deshaun Jackson was in the same concussion protocol like Quincy, but at this point he was a limited participant. So Quincy Wilson still being held out, not looking great for him. That would mean more snaps for cornerback Pierre Desir, who replaced him last week. Defensive tackle Hassan Ridgeway. And I think that's it for the dudes that didn't go. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's it. I stopped paying attention. I don't even know how many <laughs> names you just said, man. So many. So good news for the secondary is that Clayton Gathers, look, we talked about them running a lot of three big dime, uh, three safety sets on third down. Safety Clayton Gathers, who was part of that package, got some of that tuss and two from Gary and Alexander and went from did not participate to full participant. Also, cornerback, I know nothing about. Chris Milton is back from a concussion. I'm sure he'll have a pick six because that's how football works and it's why you don't get into pick and pulls with mm -hmm. nerds like Ben. Limited was guard slash tackle Woo! Denzel Good. <laughs> and that's it. That's okay. So that's it. For the injury report, we went through, did not participate, limited, all that stuff. Well, wait, wait, wait. Just a real quick side note before we get into the real meat and potatoes Absolutely. Here. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you said, no, you said we got Chris Milton, you know, some corner I don't know. How was I not told that there was a person in the world named Lindsay Pipkins? What? Lindsay Pipkins? Lindsay Pipkins. Mike, on the 
if we if we scroll on over to the Indianapolis Colts roster, number 37, standing at six foot, 196 pounds, in his second year from Oklahoma State, cornerback Lindsey Pipkins. Is that the brother? Is there's is, there's an S on the end, so he's not Antonio Pipkin, Senior Bowl quarterback star from two years ago. That's not his brother, right? So let's see, 37, Lindsey Pipkins. No, there's an S on the end. Pipkins, six foot, 196. Is this the Wizard of Oz? <laughs> Is this a Dr. Seuss book? Who are these people? Lindsay? <laughs> Lindsay Pipkins? So I went and I did some reading on Dear Lindsay. Uh, and it turns out he was like traded from the Packers or something. And he's never been a significant starter in his life. <laughs> uh, he was undrafted. He's been an undrafted free agent, whatever. Um, but shout out. Listen, I would immediately spend a undrafted free agent flyer on a man named Lindsay Pipkins in a heartbeat. <laughs> that is my hard-hitting analysis. Hey, uh, yeah. So when it comes to the guys worried about, again, Hassan Ridgeway, as you identified, uh, as a guy who's not practicing, which I think is good news. I wasn't super worried about Ridgeway. He's not the toughest interior defensive lineman the Eagles will face by a long shot, but still, he's an impact player on that Colts defensive front. So Costanzo yeah. being out, right, is something that I look at and I say, oh no, like that's, a, that's an issue. Man, Joe Haig plays well. I didn't know that Joe Haig was good. Joe Haig's good. Yeah. Right, like he's a like in a in a league bereft of offensive tackle talent. Uh, the 2015 or 2016 fifth rounder out of North Dakota State, Mike Carson Wentz's old left tackle, and like that's that's a bond right there, you know, uh, quarterback and left tackle. Joe Hay came out in the fifth round. I thought he had nice size. Uh, you know, I thought he was a a decent mover, pretty good with his hands. I didn't think that he was a. Uh, uh, a starter in the NFL and and in the fifth round I liked the value but again I didn't see him as anything more than really a depth piece moving forward uh, in the NFL coming out of North Dakota State when he came mm. out hey two years working there in Indianapolis I'm not sure the offensive line coach is he looks really really nice a lot of polish he's I think he's a quicker mover than I gave him credit for at, at FCS you know sometimes it can be difficult to extrapolate uh, and so in his left tackle reps that he took in replacement of uh, Costanzo in week two I thought really nice. And so uh, they've got a good player there. He usually plays on the right side. And so how they're going to handle uh, you know, him on the left. And then, like, I, like you said, I believe it's LaRaven Clark who will play for them on the right. I'm not positive if that's how they'll deploy that line. Uh, then, obviously, it's a big advantage to whoever the left end is for Philadelphia. Very often, Brandon Graham. Uh, yeah, <laughs> big deal. But Costanzo uh, being out isn't as big of an issue as I thought it was going to be because I think Haig acquits himself very nicely. So you don't believe that Derek Barnett gets his first sack? In week three. Just let, let's, let's do one podcast where we don't talk about Derek Barnett. How does that sound? Let's have one game where Derek Barnett shows up as a pass rusher because I'm waiting for it. That's I'm it. putting it out there, man. I'm putting it like Usually Ben is leading this charge, right? And we gave Derek Join Barnett. Join me out on the tree limb, Mike. <laughs> we will both fall. Me and Ben talked about it on the last show. He showed up great in the run game. Not going to take that away from him. He had a plus matchup. Mm-hmm. Did not cash in with a sack. Now, I understand. Quick throwing. Yeah. All that stuff. This is another opportunity for him where he's not facing a top-tier tackle. The excuses can only go on for so long. The games can only go on for so long into the sophomore campaign before it's not us that's talking about the lack of the pass rush from Derek Barnett. It's everyone else burning him at the stake and us going, oh, hey, remember when we were concerned about that and we kind of took it light on him for those first few weeks? Can we talk about it now? Like, when does that start to happen? Here's the thing. The the question of where is Derek Barnett doesn't start happening until the question of where is the pass rush in general starts being asked. Because, like, if we're we're calling even shots here, you know who's been a ghost the first two games is Brandon Graham. 
right? Now, Graham is working his way. We know Graham's a great player. We know he's a great pass rusher. He's working his way back from injury. Uh, we've gone up against an offense in Tampa Bay who gets the ball out exceptionally quickly. And we went up against an offensive line in Atlanta that had good offensive tackles. It's okay that Brandon Graham hasn't, in my tape watching, been like super disruptive and effective. But he has been in the past. And, the, and he's proven that he has been yeah, in the yeah, past. Yeah. So it's a, that, that's a different course, situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But go ahead. Right. What I'm, what I'm saying is like, you know, no one's asking, where's Brandon Graham? Where's Derek Barnett? Because as of right now, Fletcher Cox and Michael, <laughs> Michael Bennett yeah. are causing so many problems from the interior. Yeah. And I tweeted this out today. Michael Bennett, or excuse me, Fletcher Cox. It's amazing that he can line up next to like Brandon Graham, Chris Long, and Michael Bennett and look, <laughs> make those players look average because yeah. they are all quite Good, right? And, and I complain a lot about how often elite is said, you know, how often it's thrown around. Fletcher Cox is an elite player. And you can tell he's an elite player because when he's put up against good and very good players, those good and very good players look meh. Yeah. That's like the definition of elite yeah. to me, you know what I mean? So obviously uh, the Colts play started against the Bengals, dealing with Geno Atkins. Andrew Billings is a tough interior front, you know, a bit of baptism there for Quentin Nelson, the rookie left guard. Uh, this offensive line generally, I think, has some nice pieces. Like I said, I like Haig. Nelson's getting up there. Nelson's learning. Uh, Ryan Kelly's a relatively steady center, you know, pivot. Uh, Slauson, uh, their right guard. And then whoever's on the outside for them, it's LaRaven Clark or it's Denzel Good, whoever they're putting out there uh, because uh, Costanzo's currently down. Uh, that right side isn't as strong. That left side's like, you know, young. It's getting there. It's, 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 um, it's developing. It's definitely got a lot of promise to it. I don't think Nelson's ready for Cox. I don't think Kelly's ready for Cox. Like, Atkins gave them problems. Jonathan Allen, the second-year guy out of Alabama, gave Quentin Nelson some problems. He had some wins on Quentin Nelson. Fletcher Cox is better than Jonathan Allen is right now in his career, and that's not a shot on Allen. He's playing very well. Fletcher Cox, like you said, is elite. So that's going to be very fun to watch because I love watching Quentin Nelson go to work, and him against Fletcher Cox is just like two bears just slapping the crap out of each other. It sounds like it's going to be amazing if they get to line up across from each other at least more than a handful of times in some meaningful reps. Hey, man, listen, Nelson is is, went from Geno to Allen, now to Cox, who I think – as of right now, Cox is playing the best of the three. Yeah. I like Geno's body of work a little bit more than Cox's, but Cox can play lights yeah. out. And then their week four is against Houston, which I don't know the current health of Jadavian Clowney, but Clowney like plays interior a lot yeah. when he's healthy. Man, welcome to the NFL, <laughs> Quentin Nelson. That sucks. Yeah. yeah, he's still handling himself well too. Yeah, they. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about you. When I was watching uh, the tape there on the Colts and on Frank Reich's offense. Obviously, we talk about how valuable uh, the offensive line and the athleticism of the offensive line in Philadelphia is to the Eagles' scheme because it allows them to do so many things. I'd imagine Reich wants to get to that spot. He'd love to be there. But he seems, uh, to me, limited, in, especially in the running game, concepts that he can call with his current offensive line because he just lacks that athletic profile in the front that, uh, that, Philadelphia, that he had in Philadelphia. When they pull, they love to pull. Quentin Nelson and they love to run right behind him and that's what makes because they brought the wham mm-hmm. with them where you know you let that three separate that three tech or that one tech come up field and then you, you block them down and whatnot because of that action with Nelson Nelson pulls the linebacker sees him pulling and says oh crap I better beat him to the spot with athleticism because I'm sure not going to do it with power and right. leaves a huge gap right there so they play off that too I don't know how you feel about it the wh- the whamming with Nelson drives me nuts because 
to me, you wham with your lesser of your interior guys. You wham with your lesser offensive lineman because a wham isn't hard. A wham is getting the guy's way for half a second, right? Now, like, no, I'm, oh, here's what I'm saying. They use the pull action with Nelson to cue the power run, but then they wham with the tight end. Oh, okay. Right, right. No, so they, they run uh, that, that I love, obviously. <laughs> Nelson's the guy you get out pulling because right. Nelson's a freaking rhinoceros. When they wham with him, it bothers me because have him seal off, have him climb to the second level, have your best offensive lineman who Nelson in three games is probably their second best behind Kelly. Right, but he's going to very soon be their best offensive lineman, in my opinion. Have him go up there and get somebody. When they wham behind him, to me, that's a waste of talent, right? And obviously, you know, you might like the box. You might like the numbers on one side. And, and, and you know, you might be targeting a certain linebacker and how he flows. And it's okay. Um, but, like, that's an example to me where because you don't have the Eagles offensive line, Frank, yeah. you got to, like, you know, get your best players in their best positions possible. Slauson ain't it. Right there, right guard. He's not um, – he's – I don't know, like steady maybe is what you'd say. He's like pretty like consistent, but he's very average to me. Look, we can talk about offensive line all day. We, we, we got to kick it back to the position that matters most first though, right? We got to talk about Captain Andrew Luck. Ah, uh, young Andrew. Yeah, returning to battle after 600 days out of the game and what he has done so far as he's you know rehabbing his shoulder still. It's getting stronger and stronger. We saw in the preseason, it looked a little weak. I think it's looking a little better, but at the same time, this offense has gone to a more West Coast-style offense. They've only taken four shots in the air over 20 yards in two total games, right? Uh, a lot of the stuff is in, you know, in front of 10 yards, 15 yards. So what you're getting with that is a high completion percentage, which he's, he's doing that, 71% completion percentage, but you're also going to get a low yards per attempt, especially when you don't have a bunch of yards after the catch type specialist type guys. So his yards per attempt right now is 5.9. And for a reference point, 5.9 was the yards per attempt that Eli Manning had last year without Odell Beckham. So that's the situation that they've got. I love how we use Eli's the yards per attempt to con to contextualize how we feel about yards per attempt. Like, yo, Carson came out with 11 yards per attempt. Is that good? Well, Eli only had a 5.9. You know, it's it's the reference point we use every time. Yeah. Sorry, continue. No, no, you're fine. But yeah, so what you're going to see is a lot of West Coast comp sets, and you'll see a lot of stuff from that the Eagles ran. I, I put an article about this up on bleedinggreennation.com, what to expect from the Colts offense with Frank Reich. You'll see a lot of mesh you know, with the with the running back wheels. So you'll see them come out in 12 personnel, which they like to use. They'll detach Eric Ebron to the left. They'll have Jack Doyle on the right side in trips. They'll run crossers through the middle of the field. They'll send Naeem Hines on a wheel route and try to get him matched up on a linebacker, which they've been able to do. They did it and they got him locked up with Ryan Anderson. It was like a like a 0.3, 0.4 difference in 40 time out there. So that's going to be something you have to watch out for as well. And just kind of throwing a, a bunch of stuff out at the wall here. You're also going to see them in 21 personnel with two backs. They're going to motion Naeem Hines a lot. They're going to get him involved in orbit action. They're going to line him up out wide. They're going to throw swing passes to him with blockers in front. They're going to try to get him activated in this game because, as we know, he was a college wide receiver for a year and then only has two years of experience as a running back uh, in his football life. So they're going to utilize him in that way. And I really would like to see them to try to get him one on one with some linebackers and create some mismatch problems because he's a he's a fun little dude to watch. And he's going to be a weapon with the ball in his hands that might give him that yak that they're looking for. So out of the backfield, split out wide stuff like that. Some of the other stuff that I'm looking at here that I saw in the Reds Redskins game, they ran so many man 
man beaters, but I don't know if they're going to be to be able to do it against the Eagles because the Eagles play in so much zone. But like towards the end of the game, I don't know if you noticed this, Ben. Andrew Luck was giving little hand signals when he saw something, motioning people in, and they would run, you know, like like go flat or like slant flat and and little things, just those natural picks. Yeah, they had one on the uh, in the red zone that was hilarious. They were in bunch. The Redskins tried to press the middle bunch man, and <laughs> what happened was uh, the Colts wide receiver that was right there fell as he came off the line into the defensive back and T.Y. Helton just scampered like right behind him and there was literally no one there to cover him for 20 yards. It was hilarious. Now the Redskins were dealing with a lot of coverage issues but they ran a lot of those man rub concepts and to, to get guys open and convert on third down. Speaking of third down, super hyper aggressive passing on third down and it has been good for them and I believe the success rate on third and short for them where they like to pass was something like 92%. I'm pulling it up right now. It's it's uh, kind of crazy. So yeah, they they pass 77% of the time. They're averaging 8.15 yards with a 92% success rate. So they're going to be aggressive on third down. And here's why I think it is. We talked about Edge Analytics, the analytics company that the Eagles hired to help them with their decision-making on those types of things, third down. How do you approach that if you know you're going to go for it on fourth down? And that's the company that the Colts have brought in with them as well. Frank Reich saw that it worked in Philadelphia, brought them in, and it looks like they're going to be a little more aggressive with their fourth down decisions, despite the fact that there was a there was a fourth down they could have gone for against the Bengals, where I actually reached out to Edge Analytics and I said, should they have gone should they have gone for this fourth down? I believe they were down zero three. They were on the three yard line. They kicked the field goal instead. Edge came back, hit ah, me back. Yeah, you know the one. Cowards. And they showed me that the Colts gave up 3.1% in game-winning percentage by not going forward in that situation. So it's weird that they're using them. You using them. Um, it bit them on that one. So it, let's see if they're aggressive on that. But that's also why I think they're being super aggressive on third down like that because they're, they know that they're going to go for it in those situations. Uh, ben, I threw a lot of stuff at you right there. 12 personnel, which they like to use 36% of the time, and the Eagles have been shut down against with only a 27% success rate, being aggressive on third and short, the mesh routes, the wheel routes from the running back, using Naheem's, super activating him in the passing game, uh, all, all that stuff. Is there anything that, that you saw maybe that you want to elaborate on or, or something fresh you want to bring to that? I think the conversation around man beaters and zone beaters is going to be very interesting because right now when I watch this Colts offense, like you said, heavy 12 personnel, which is smart because when your number two receiver is Ryan Grant <laughs> yeah. and your number two tight end is Jack Doyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, uh, obviously, you know, if you're an 11 personnel, you're bringing in the third wide receiver, but that's an even darker road of like Chester Rogers and Marcus Johnson, man. The Marcus Johnson events game. Yeah. Here it comes. <laughs> Shout out Marcus J. Uh, so yes, 12 personnel makes a lot of sense. And then of course, uh, like you mentioned, Naeem Hines. Uh, and being a, a matchup issue, running back, wide receiver. Of course, preseason, Hines was struggling. And if you asked everybody, Jordan Wilkins was going to do this, that, and the other thing. Um, but Hines was drafted around earlier, and Hines is more talented than Wilkins. So here we are. Uh, always important to not overreact to the preseason. Just a little, little teachable moment. But the conversation around man beaters and zone beaters, when you've got 12 personnel out on the field uh, and and – Reich will bring out those nasty alignments and he'll put people in bunches. And, and a lot of his man beaters are right at the line of scrimmage. It's mostly by alignment and by release. Because as of right now, maybe T.Y. Hilton is a guy who can win one-on-one -on -one and Ebron occasionally. 
But besides that, not really. So a lot of his man beaters, it's not like he's running scissors in the deep third. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not like he's running he's not running post corners. We're not running bench routes. It's none of this nonsense. This is yeah. all all that man beating stuff is very close to the line of scrimmage. The way Philadelphia deploys their defenders, typically you're not going to be able to hassle them off the line of scrimmage like that. Maybe so when you get into the red zone, obviously you gotta move your corners up and then you know you gotta introduce in and out coverage and other stuff that we've uh, discussed and touched upon but slant flat you know uh, 11 21 these are not concepts that are built for beating the eagles defense now those zone beaters very heavy usage of levels like yeah. and also a good understanding of personnel luck is a great sideline thrower always has been has really nice touch into the boundary a lot of levels working into the sideline giving luck half field reads getting the ball out a little bit quicker so that offensive line isn't super great that's where I think Philadelphia could potentially struggle. And, and and levels, as we've discussed before, I believe, is a great concept against cover three, which is the Eagles' primary coverage shell. So I think you're going to see more four-man routes, six-man protection. You're probably going to see a heavy amount of play action because Reich's going to know that he needs to beat the pass rush before he does anything else. Yeah. And then I think they're going to look for a little bit more chunk yardage plays off of levels working the intermediates they're going to work dagger they're going to work yankee ideas that we've seen rank reich use when he was here and we've already seen them show up again on indianapolis tape he's going to work those concepts and look for 15 20 yard gains instead of maybe necessarily his 5 10 yard gains so the 5.9 ypa i think you could see uh that rise after game three i think you will see luck attempt more downfield throws this is of course assuming he's healthy enough to do so i mean he launched a couple pretty deep balls in the tape that i saw but it's definitely not something they're having him do often so maybe if they're still weaning him back then that's not going to be the case but when i look at this team and this offense and how it matches up on the field against the eagles defense they're going to have to keep in a back or a tight end occasionally to protect because uh, uh, that right side of the line isn't going to be able to handle it uh and they are going to have to look for deeper plays down the field because the Eagles are not going to be biting on that easy eye candy up at the man coverage front. None of that's going to work. And that's something that we covered a lot in the Atlanta Falcons game because Julio Jones and uh, it, it was it was on the Rasul Douglas pick where they came out in that tight alignment, that doubles tight with Julio Jones out there. And it was either going to, the coverage was going to fall on Rasul Douglas or Sidney Jones, but they're playing off. They can allow that intersecting of routes to happen and then pass their guy off. And we also saw it in the Browns preseason game in week three with Sidney Jones and Jalen Mills in the red zone when the Browns tried those three consecutive rub routes and they were able to pass them off and really be disruptive against them. So they have shown very well against those types of things. And I'm not as concerned as I as I am after, you know, like watching the Redskins try to deal with it. And before the snap, they're running around like chickens with their heads cut off, not knowing what they're doing. There were so many times that the Redskins looked disorganized before the snap. And it bit them so many times as well. So I feel better about the communication in our defensive secondary to be able to communicate before the snap, say, okay, let's go banjo here, you know, have a discussion between the two players, suss it out, work it out, and then, you know, go and execute it. So I feel much better about that on our end. And I also feel better about our coverage linebackers, even though Bradham did look rusty last week, lost some snaps to some some big dime snaps and some some Jordan Hicks stuff uh, to be able to stick with Naeem Hines a little bit better than guys like Ryan Anderson, and I believe it was Preston Brown for the Bengals that got beat by Himes uh, on an angle route. I feel better about our linebackers and coverage there 
that's okay for me. And you look at this depth chart, like you mentioned, you know, T.Y. Hilton is probably going to get a lot of coverage from Ronald Darby when he's not working in the slot. And what I would love to see this. I, I hope T.Y. plays. I really do. I'd never like winning games on injuries. I never want to see guys injured. That's not like, that's not my style. But T.Y. Hilton put him in the slot against Sidney Jones. And let's see what Sidney Jones has to work with because so far. Hey, man. <laughs> yeah. What's up? Let's talk about this for yeah. a second. Yeah, so Sidney Jones so far, and I'm pulling up his coverage stats here. People said, like, everything's been so quiet with Sidney. Well, that's that's a fantastic thing. He hasn't had to make any plays because he's had the coverage, and when the ball has come his way, he's been very, very effective. He's only been targeted seven times, and I think he's only given up, yeah, there it is, four receptions, 18 yards with a 62.2 quarterback rating. And the film matches the analytics on that one, baby, because he has been playing absolutely lights out. The question, Ben, is let's say that T.Y. starts to line up a little bit over Jalen Mills and Jalen Mills starts to get toasted. You know the fans are already clamoring for it with how Cindy Jones is playing and how Jalen Mills has struggled. And, you know, Jalen Mills is a volatile guy. He can get on these slumps, but then he can get real hot like he did last year in the playoffs and other times during the year. If Sidney Jones continues to ball out, when do we start having the discussion about should we move Sidney outside? No. Exactly. I feel the same no. way. Perfect. Listen. Here's like, and this is this is the tricky thing because I I I don't mean to condescend. I apologize if I come off that way. It is not my intention. But right now we're having a very difficult time with Eagles fans because we're simultaneously saying, "Listen, Matt J Mac can go play in the slot, and Nelson Aguilar can play on the outside, and that's really not that difficult. Not that many things are changing. It's fine. It's not going to throw Nelson Aguilar off, and." Listen, you can't move Sidney Jones to the outside out of the nickel. It's going to be so many different things, right? And it's like that sounds so inherently contradictory. You know, probably, as always, the truth is somewhere in the middle. I greatly struggle with the idea of putting Sidney Jones on the outside, whereas he's so uh, used to playing in a underneath zone, and now he's playing in a deep zone. Yeah. Taking Jalen Mills, who's always been deep zones, putting him in underneath zones. Obviously, like, man coverage is all pretty much the same, but when you're talking about your zone coverage, and even then, man coverage is not the same, but it's much more similar than zone coverage. When you're talking about the zone coverage, your eyes are in different spots. Your uh, The quickness with which you react is in different spots. Your responsibility against the run is in different spots. And finally, it's very difficult to prove to me right now that outside corner is more valuable than slot corner, right? Mm -hmm. At least measurably, distinctly, to the point where you need to make a switch like that. Now, all right. A team comes out in base, like they come out in 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 four uh, down linemen, three linebackers, which the Eagles rarely, if ever, do. Right. Should Mills be on the outside, or should Sydney be on the outside? If only one of them is on the field, that's a discussion. Now maybe we have a discussion. Now you're again asking Sydney to to be able to play different roles and to learn new things. So maybe that's something you talk about, but that's you got to figure that out with Mills and with Sydney. There's really a, no way for us on the outside looking in to know if. Sydney could handle that and even if that would be better for him because we simply don't see him play those zones yeah so I don't anticipate that being a thing nor do I anticipate us having this conversation in three weeks because Jalen Mills is going to make three impact plays across the next three games one each game right. and he's going to get burned a couple times but overall he's going to look back to being more okay and we're not going to be talking about this anymore you know what I mean yeah. so he's got Ryan Grant in coverage this week we're kind of kind of forget about it after this week if, if I'm right but really it's uh Cindy unspoken biggest riser, yeah. I guess biggest you know surprise over the first two weeks. I, I felt good uh, in the competition with Maddox, kind of competition air quotes uh, that that he was the more 
locked down on the defenders that he was the higher ceiling player. I did not expect him to look this good against Mohamed Sanu and Chris Godwin slash Adam Humphreys yep. right out of the gate. Yep. Those are good slots. And, and he's, he's acquitted himself very, very nicely, which is great news for Eagles fans. You know who expected it? Hello. You expect him to look this good? I don't know about this good, but Lies. man. Yeah, no. Deceit and slander. <laughs> no, but he's been he's been excellent. So I actually do want to see T.Y. Hilton play, and I want to see him as some of those slot reps, and I want to see how Cindy does. I think I think it'll be fun. Here's the real question, Michael. Okay. And by real, I mean not actually a real question, but I wish it was. Should Jalen Mills move to safety? No, never. <laughs> no, no, no. The real question is when do we see Darby on the outside, Sydney in the slot, and Rasul <laughs> on the other outside. Hey, man. It's coming. The day will arrive. Yeah, I feel like that's more apt to happen than Sydney moving outside right now. I think that that's the first move for the coaching staff because why move Sydney from a place where he's excelling, change everything on him in basically his first year of play if you can get Rasul mm-hmm. in and get a better level of play on the outside. Because I feel like right now, like switching Mills and Sidney Jones from slot to outside and flopping them is a net negative. Now, if you bring in Sewell... So let's say this. When Darby went down momentarily, the first response was replace him with Sewell real quick, not moving Sidney to the outside and putting Maddox on the inside, right? So. There's that's that that's a, that's a weak signal, but let, maybe we can call that a signal. Obviously, if they knew Darby was only going to be out for a play or two, then that's the move. If they weren't sure, then you know potentially, then you you see Maddox. Maybe that's the move. Who knows? Okay, <laughs> I will say I I think Rasul outside replacing Mills is the more correct path if we have to go down it. I will be pleasantly surprised if the Eagles take it. Yeah. Because I feel like that residual philosophy of your two best corners going the outside and then you put the next best guy in the slot may still be strong enough remaining. Um, so I'll be pleasantly surprised if that's the path they take, if and when we get there, which we probably won't. So let's go through two different scenarios with this Colts team since we're talking about coverage here and things that we are likely to see. We are very likely to see if Jack Doyle plays. Remember, he's got that hip injury, has not participated in practice. But we'll, we'll talk about Eric Ebron here as well, who only had 17 snaps in the last game, which I thought was weird because they worked him on the first drive and he was very effective. And Frank Reich talked about in the press conference, I went ahead and watched it, wanting to get him more involved. I think he will be more involved in this game. He's been a more effective receiver for them just on a, on a uh, efficiency standpoint than a lot of their other receivers outside of T.Y. Hilton, who is also dealing with a knock. So let's say that they come out in this scenario. I'll give you one. They come out in 12 personnel, right? And they come out in that yep. typical Philadelphia Eagles look where it's trips right. You've got Jack Doyle on the inside and you've got Eric Ebron detached on the left side. Who do you have lining up over Eric Ebron on the left side of the formation, slightly detached? Who do you have lining up over Jack Doyle in the slot? I, I leave Mills on Ebron and I move Jenkins down into the slot. I mean, that's what will happen. That's what I anticipate them doing. Ebron, man, Reich is really trying to make him knock off Ertz. <laughs> and he ain't it. <laughs> Ebron is a great athlete, and you can see that on the field, but he is lost as a route runner still, in yeah. my opinion. He's got a couple that, you know, he's, he's, he's pretty solid on. He can get, like, you know, very quickly into, like, a speed out or whatever, and that's nice to see. But he lacks 
the downfield ability of a Zach Ertz, and that will forever prevent him from really truly fulfilling that role for Frank Reich. You can tell Reich would, Reich's isolating him the same way that we would isolate Ertz. It's yep. just not to the same tune of production or difficulty for a defense handle. Not with the same complexity either. They like getting him in that in that Y ISO, but it's been very basic stuff. It's been the fade, and then they'll throw in the mesh, and I haven't seen much else from him. They're more scheming to him rather than scheming because of him saying, oh, we can get him on a, on a deep you know, 15-yard in like we could with a Zach Ertz or you know, a, a corner post like we could with Zach Ertz. They can't do the same thing with their guys at tight end. So that's going to be a fun matchup to watch. You know, they've been more successful with 11 personnel. I think they try to get that 12 personnel going. We'll see the matchups for me. I mean, uh, Jenkins on Ebron for me. You didn't like the matchup with o, uh, with OJ Howard, and I think you were correct in that assessment because OJ Howard is a freak. Mm-hmm. Ebron's, you know, I mean, he tested real well. He's just, he's not the same caliber of, oh, we got to take care of that guy. And Jack Doyle is not anything yeah. special athletically. He's just solid. None of those guys scare me. So I think the linebackers and the safeties should be able to take care of him. And hey, hey, I saw your article today. No, you listen to me, Ben. I saw your article today about Rodney McLeod being a box safety. Oh, wow. Please get him more involved with this short passing game, okay? To forget about the three deep safeties for, for some of the snaps this game, please. Get more defenders in the underneath areas. And if you give up a completion, fine. Tackle right away and take care of it. I'll take the four to five yard completion. They can try to do that outside of giving up eight to 12 yard curls all day. Get that extra defender up there. Expand your underneath right. coverage. Ben. No, yeah, that's not what I was going to listen. I was going to listen. I was going to listen and say, do you remember when I told you? But I realized I was not texting you uh, this. I was texting with Fran Duffy about this. Oh, Ebron oh, were you? Not- See, because you keep bringing up Fran. We you keep bringing one time. Um, <laughs> Ebron is knockoff Ertz. Doyle is knockoff Sel- uh, Selleck. This is the 2016 Eagles offense. <laughs> right? Like, if we want to keep things very... Right, and it's like, you know, it's very general. But the lack of weapons... And then you got uh, a quarterback who right now is at least like the offense is limited, part quarterback, part play calling in terms of down the field. And with the way they use Ertz and Ebron, is or Ebron and Doyle, it's just Ertz and Selleck, man. <laughs> it's less effective both on both fronts, uh, the Ebron front and the Doyle front. But that it's very similar in that regard. So I think that, you know, we're, we'll be fine in coverage. We just, you know, a little bit of extra attention on the underneath zones, a little bit of extra attention on T.Y. Hilton, take her at business otherwise. What about this run game? Because they're they're not too bad as far as efficiency goes. They're pretty solid. And against the Redskins, they had some in the beginning of the game. They started to drive off nice on first down with some nice first down runs. They had another drive later in the game that put the game away where they had three straight runs of like five, six, eight yards. And that was an eight-yard touchdown wham by Naeem Hines that uh, he showed some great contact balance on for a little guy. Do you think this run game can can do anything to us? No, but <laughs> like, wait for it. Uh, Seth Galina, who writes for the New Orleans uh, SB Nation site. Shout out, Seth. And is a quarterback sort of guy. Love Seth. He's a great guy. The only smart thing Seth has ever said, I'm joking, <laughs> uh, is that basically we should just view runs as targets in the quick game, three yards behind the line of scrimmage in the middle of the field, right? <laughs> like, like, you know, when we talk about the value of running versus passing, he's like, well, would you consider a pass three yards behind the line of scrimmage right away a smart pass? And it's like, well, no. And then Seth's point is like, well, that's basically what a run is. And so that's how we kind of contextualize uh, the value of running inside a very pass-heavy league. Why do I bring that up? Because while this running game, traditional running game, I don't think will do a lot of damage to the Eagles, 
Jordan Wilkins and Naeem Hines, who are two solid receiving backs, Naeem, uh, an even better receiving back, a very good receiving back, have the potential with very quick targets in space to cause problems, which in that construction, like targets behind the line of scrimmage, targets at the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. is a quasi-running game, right? right? It's very high percentage plays that are not meant to be explosive, but they're just meant to stay ahead of the sticks. Like, Naeem Hines, if you can get Hines working in space, can be a big problem for you. Jordan Wilkins is a is a decently fine, he's a good space player, is a decently fine receiver in the limited reps we've seen of him. Mm-hmm. If you work him off play action and delay releases and little, like, you know, uh, scat protections and all that stuff, he can give, pick up, you know, if you got Ronald Darby closing down to tackle Jordan Wilkins, Wilkins is going to win a few of those reps. You know what I mean? Like, he's an elusive guy in space. So, how Frank Reich will manufacture the running game I think we'll, you know, it's going to stress Philadelphia's secondary players to come up and tackle. It's going to stress their linebackers to stay connected, especially to Hines in space. I mean, they they they've been trying to hit that bus route with Hines, man. They've been wheeling him yeah. out up the sideline. They want it bad. Yeah. So Bradham, Hicks, got to get on your horse, yep. right? And they can, but like you know, it's just important to note Hines and Wilkins can threaten you that way. So running back routes can be very effective, and and it's a substitute for the running game. And Hines runs a four three eight. You see him locked up on one of those guys. Like you said, you got to get on the horse, baby, because he's booking. Is that fast? Yeah. (laughs) All right, Ben. I I think we covered everything we wanted to cover here. It's been a good show. Had a good time with you. We got to get to predictions so we can be wrong again. (laughs) It is true. Wait, have we? Have we seen the over-under? What was that? I'm one and one betting. I know that. I bet correctly. Whatever my bet was for the Eagles. Oh, I bet the over and we got it. So I'm one on one betting. I'm 0 2 picking the games. Ben has the odds, so uh, hit me with them, Ben. Always have the odds. This is my degenerate life. The <laughs> line opened at uh, Philly with a seven point favorite. Uh, 48 was the point total. It has since moved down ever so slightly. Uh, Philly is a six and a half point favorite, and 47.5 is the over under total. Now, I don't really think the books know what to do because they don't really know what to do with Carson, which is opportunity, but also it's sometimes to me it's a stay away because I have no idea what's going to happen with Carson either. <laughs> right. So I'll go at six and a half. Yeah, if it, if it was at seven, it's probably something I'm, I'm avoiding. I'm going to say final score 21-14 Eagles with the under. Right, so you would take the under. I think the over would be the bet that I would take simply because I know that regardless of game script, because I know these offensive minds, they're both going to be trying to score in the fourth quarter, regardless of what the point differential is, right? Like Colts leading by 30, Eagles leading by 30. Both teams are still (laughs) going to be trying to score in like a very real way. But what about the, we talked about the road and home splits for the defense, where the Eagles are so much better in allowing like something like 12 points at home. Like that's the kind of game that I'm I'm really hoping for, number one, but also right. historically has been the case for the Eagles at home on defense. Listen, so the Eagles score 40 heard... on offense? <laughs> right, no. So I would anticipate like, you know, you said 21-14. I would anticipate like a 27-14, mm. you know, a 28-17 style of game. Again, I, this is a game I'm staying away from. I'm not necessarily... Right. Uh, I, I, I don't want to bet this game you know what i mean this is a game i would much rather stay away from um if anything i'm going to bet the over on it because i think that this game is more likely to become a bit of a boat race and a bit of a high score than anything else uh but yeah like you know philly putting up 30 indy putting up around 17 i think is is reasonable in that regard so 
I'll take that. I'll take that actually. I'll take thirty-one seventeen Philadelphia, which barely scrapes the over. Uh, but I would stay away from this game generally. Eagles should win. Yeah. Uh, I, I I'll, I'm gonna stay away from a, a six and a half point spread simply because if things aren't good with Carson, you know, you never really know. We, we're kind of assuming that he's gonna be back at his level. We'll find out when he gets there. It's gonna need to be with these but weapons. Eagles should win this game. <laughs> yeah, the talent the, the talent disparity in the 53 man is enough that Philadelphia should be able to pull this off. All right, Ben, that does it for us for uh for this week. Actually, we're we're done. So we'll have BGN Radio previewing this game. That's going to drop actually later today with the way that it's scheduled right now. So keep an eye out for that during drive time. We'll get you home nice and safe with BGN Radio previewing the game of John Stolness and Brandon Lee Gowton, the cult leader of BleedingGreenNation.com. Ben, say goodbye to the gentle listeners for the last time this week. We got to come up with like a... Uh like uh, a, a title for BLG whenever we call him the Colt Master. We got to call him like, you know, the high elevated BLG, Colt Master of Bleeding Green Nation. He's the Kingmaker. Oh, that's right. I forgot that we do that bit on him. All right. <laughs> so Kingmaker BLG. Uh, as always, gentle listeners, thank you so much for listening. I'm sorry you had to deal with the last 25 seconds, but the rest of it I hope was good. Uh, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, iTunes, man. Ratings and reviews. We do love them so very much. Please only leave five stars. If you try to leave anything else, not only will the system not allow us. We will kill you. We've received reports, Mike. That unidentified third parties will kill you. We don't know where they came from. We don't know how this is happening. It's just we've been told uh, that, or we've been told by the FBI. Actually, people they, go they missing. linked it up. They figured it out. They said we we found a bunch of weird murders, and we realized the link was they tried to enter four or lower star reviews for the Kiss and Solak show on BGN Radio on iTunes. We said, "Wow, we don't know anything about that." And the FBI said, yeah, that tracks. I don't even know what BGN Radio is. We're clear. Obviously, we're fine. We're just telling you, the people, to only leave five-star ratings if you value your life. (laughs) Uh, I'm off next weekend, so you'll be getting a post-game show from somebody else, not me. But Kiss will definitely be on there. You can still find uh, my Ronald Darby piece that Kiss mentioned, his piece on offensive uh, schemes from the Colts that he mentioned, my mailbag, my offense, my Indianapolis Colts All-22 review will all be up on BleedingGreenNation.com in the upcoming days. Thank you so much for stopping by. We all we got, we all we need, Fly Eagles Fly. Hey guys, this is John Stolness from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to The Good Fight podcast feed. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.